Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety, the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety, in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety, or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. I'm Rob Bartlett, and I'm back again with Molly Myers. Molly, what are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about process hazard analyses, or PHAs, and we're going to be specifically focusing on what operations and or maintenance personnel, sometimes I refer to them as boots on the ground, uh, need to know because they're often asked to participate in these PHAs, and sometimes they can be a little intimidated or unsure of what it is that they're being tasked with. And and we'll bring it up in, in this PHA certainly, but certainly one of my one of my soapbox topics is how important it is for those people to be involved in the PHA mm-hmm. and how much value they bring to that important assessment. Right. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We'll go over some of the basics of a PHA, what to expect. Sometimes a good facilitator will do a little bit of a training on what is a PHA at the beginning. Yep. Sometimes they may not do a very thorough job. So hopefully if you're one of those folks that has been asked to participate in a PHA, maybe a lead operator or a training coordinator or a maintenance mechanic or something like that, and you're not sure what to expect, hopefully this podcast will give you the information that you need. Absolutely. So with that, we'll start with what are the goals of a PHA? It's one of the elements in process safety management or PSM, and they're required every five years. So even if your process has been running for, you know, the past few decades, you're still going to have to cycle back through and do a new PHA every five years. Sometimes you just do a revalidation, which means you review what was gone over five years ago and update it for any changes and modifications. But you're going to still need to revisit that information every five years. And the purpose is really to ensure that risks are being managed, that you've got enough safeguards in place so that you don't have any catastrophic incidents like major fires or toxic releases or anything like that that could significantly impact the process or people in your facility or even outside your facility borders. It provides a structured brainstorming to evaluate those risks. Often there's a methodology that's used that walks everybody through that brainstorming process to make sure that you thoroughly reviewed everything about the process and what could go wrong. Mm -hmm. Also, you are often including checklists for things like human factors which includes the interface between people and the equipment, whether that be things like equipment labeling and accessibility for turning valves and reading instruments in the field, or interacting with your HMI, your human machine interface for your control system. The human factors checklist covers a whole myriad of questions related to that. 
Facility siting also gets into some issues with inventories and placement access for emergency equipment and things of that sort. So often the PHA will include checklists for those topics because those are required to be covered. The other piece of the PHA is identifying what the hazards are and what are your worst case consequences. And those get into things that you hopefully will never have happen. It could be a spill, which then ignites and turns into a major fire with fatalities. Could be a vapor release. Oh, it would be horrible. Or vapor release that turns into a vapor cloud explosion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a big fireball or things like that. Or so, toxic, or, or a toxic release that gases out the plants and, oh, by the way, gases out the downtown of the city nearby or something like that. Yes, yes. So the PHAs are going to take everything to their worst case consequences. Mm-hmm. Hopefully you have a lot of interlocks, a lot of safeguards in place to keep from getting to those. But just be aware and don't be shocked or surprised as the PHA discussions lead down those paths and you're like, oh my gosh, where am I working? I I didn't realize it was that dangerous. Um, I I have that conversation fairly often in PHAs when operators start talking about, wait a minute, you guys keep trying to kill me here. No, we're not. All we're saying is worst case without any safeguards, what, what, what could happen? Right, right. And so um, so anyway, the goal of the PHA overall is to understand what those risks are, what those worst case consequences are, and then identify what safeguards you have from reaching those consequences, from killing those of you that are working there, and make sure that you have enough safeguards so that that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's that's really that's really what we're trying to do here. So we don't want to get too far into the weeds as far as the methodology here goes. But at a high level, you know what we're going to do, and Molly and I spend the bulk of our time actually facilitating PHAs for clients across the country, all sorts of different industries. But the basic methodology is is very similar. We we take a process, we break it up into small pieces that we call nodes. And within each of those nodes, we do, as Molly was saying before, we kind of brainstorm what bad things can happen. If that happens, how bad would it be? What would the consequence be, assuming worst case? And then if we have something that could have some sort of a worst case consequence, do we have adequate safeguards? And if we don't have adequate safeguards, what recommendations do we as a team make to management on ways to improve the safety of the process. So in a nutshell, that's kind of that's kind of what we're doing with a PHA. It is kind of repetitive. It gets tedious. It's our job, uh, Molly's job, my job, whoever's facilitating to lead the group through that process mm-hmm. in a way that is effective and efficient and hopefully isn't too dry <laughs> because sometimes <laughs> it can seem a little bit long and drawn out. But it super it is super important and just circling back again to the worst case consequences thing. One of the things that I say probably a dozen times before folks finally get it through their head, when I say, okay, if you have a leak from this pump seal, what would happen? And someone says, oh, well, the LELs would go off and John would shut the valve and whatnot. Like, no, 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 we don't have any safeguards. What's the worst thing that can happen? So when you go into these PHAs, just remember that that's the first thing we're going to be doing is thinking in terms of worst case consequences. And then we're going to say, what do we have for safeguards? Right. And and one other thing that I always like to point out to the participants in the PHA is that 
when we say what could cause some deviation or problem or whatever, we frequently say, oh yeah, the operator error or the operator makes this mistake, operator makes that mistake. And the point of that isn't to try and point fingers or place blame Good or point. say you don't know what you're doing or you're, you know, you're an, you're an idiot out there and you're just messing everything up. No, it's just acknowledging the fact that we're all people we all make mistakes. We all have a bad day. Sooner or later, if something can be done incorrectly, it probably will be done incorrectly. And we want to make sure that we have enough safeguards to keep it from turning into something horrific if it's a simple mistake. And playing off of that a little bit is the idea of safeguards. When people talk about safeguards, one of the things, conversations that Molly and I often bring into, into a PHA is that safeguards fail. There are very few safeguards that we can say are 100% effective. So if someone says, oh, well, we have an interlock for that, that may not actually be enough to prevent some very serious release from turning into a very serious scenario. So there is a little bit of people can fail, people make make mistakes, equipment can fail when you need it to not fail in the case of an interlock. Also, equipment can fail and be a cause of some sort of scenario. So that's a little bit of the methodology. Molly, let's talk about like team composition. Yeah. So one other quick thing I wanted to mention is acronyms. There are an awful lot of acronyms in PSM. And so we talked about PHA, and that stands for Process Hazard Analysis. One common methodology that you mentioned earlier was a HAZOP. That stands for Hazard and Operability Study. So it's just a particular approach for that brainstorming. Another acronym that they may run across frequently is LOPA, Layers of Protection Analysis. And that's just a way to kind of count how many safeguards do you have and are they enough? And that's a tool that we use to make sure that we have enough safeguards for any particular consequence to prevent that consequence. Um, And then actually, before we move on to the team, the other thing I want to throw in there, since you're talking, you brought up the HAZOP is when we do these, Molly, you talked about checklists. Mm -hmm. You just, we just mentioned HAZOP and the other major methodology that folks will come across is the what if methodology. And again, this is just a way of brainstorming to try to figure out what bad things can happen in our process. What if the temperature control fails? What if that flex hose springs a leak? What if, what if, what if? So those are those are the three primary ones. There are many other ones. LOPA is kind of a, a, a playoff of, the, of that as well. But there's other types out there. But most of the ones that folks probably listening to this podcast will come across are probably going to be those three. So we've got folks, an operator, an E&I tech, whatever, they're going right. to be on a team. So who's going to be on that team? Yeah, so there's always going to be a facilitator or leader of some sort. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, there may be a separate scribe to document the results of your conversation. Sometimes the facilitator does the scribing at the same time. Since all of the software is now computerized, sometimes it's easy enough for the leader to type as they go along but sometimes that's role is split. Also, you're going to need an operator or some person that is familiar with operating the equipment. And that knowledge is essential. Absolutely. You're the folks that have the understanding of 
what could go wrong, what might have gone wrong, what sort of near misses have you seen, and how the equipment actually responds to a lot of upsets. You know that, you know, if you have a pump going bad, what does it look like and what happens downstream from that? Or if you have a distillation column and you make some sort of adjustment, where did you end up? Or what might result in your pressure increasing or your temperature increasing or things of that sort. Often there's additional personnel like a E&I tech or maintenance tech that may have some customized knowledge. The other key player and always in there in some fashion or another is your process engineer or technology type person some that understands technical expertise. Yeah. yeah, that understands the technical basis for the process. And sometimes that's more towards a process engineer. Sometimes it's a little more towards a chemist or somebody mm -hmm. that understands the underlying chemical processes. Exactly who fills that role, it can vary from company to company. But you're always going to have somebody that understands the technical side of the process, and mm -hmm. you're going to have somebody that understands the actual operations of the process. So when you say when you say that we want an operator there or somebody who has knowledge experience, so I've got John, he just started last week. Is it going to be all right <laughs> for him, for me? I mean, he, I get, he read through the initial procedures, so he knows yeah. the process. So is that going to be all right if we, if we, if we make him the, the operator for the PHA? So... It might be a good learning experience for that person, <laughs> but they're it will not be. going I to. I guarantee yes. you, I guarantee you it will be a good learning experience for them. But they're not going to provide that depth of knowledge and understanding that's critical right. for a good PHA. Right. So, um, so we do not want, we do not want the brand new process engineer no. to fill, there'll be a good learning experience for them, but they they cannot fill that role of the technical right. expert the same way a new operator or a new mechanic or E&I tech or whatever, whoever's going to fill a role like that needs to have experience, right. not just ex industry experience, but it, experience at that facility with that mm -hmm. chemistry, with that process equipment, whatever, whatever role they're filling. Right. We need to make sure that they've got that experience. Right. And and some companies will have specific requirements on yep. minimum experience levels. If they don't, you just need to be aware that you really should find somebody with a good level of experience to participate on those teams. Yep. So once we've got the team put together, then what are some of the ground rules that you need to follow as uh, participating on a team? Well, I mean, I mean, from my standpoint, the biggest one that is important for anybody on the team, no matter which role you're filling, is that you've got to speak up. As a facilitator, I'm always trying to make sure that those folks who are maybe a little bit more quiet, that they're given an opportunity to say what, you know, what their kind of what their thoughts are about things. There's a little bit of, uh, you know, reading body language, noticing when somebody's a little bit antsy, when maybe they don't, they don't, agree with what one of the other folks is saying. And although this is important for everyone, it's particularly important for the operators or, or the maintenance folks, the folks, the boots on the ground folks who know the process, because, you know, I've been in, I've been in PHAs where you've had very strong opinionated 
technical people or managerial people really trying to force the conversation to minimize risk or to not have recommendations or or even maybe simply just having an opinion about the way the process works in the plant that is not actually that is not valid that is not accurate so it's very important for the operators and the maintenance folks to make sure that they speak up because they're the ones that know the process intimately i can be a process engineer in a facility for 10 years but if i've not gone out and actually troubleshot or actually turned valves or Mm -hmm. you know or run the distillation column there's stuff there that I don't know. So in right. my mind, that's the biggest ground rule. I mean, the normal ground rules about meetings apply as well, right? I mean, be respectful of other people. Listen when other people are talking. Don't have multiple conversations going on at once. As a facilitator, it's very hard. It's very hard to manage when, when there's two or three conversations going on at once. Mm-hmm. Um, they may be valid conversations, but one at a time makes that um, makes that much better. So right. again, normal meeting ground rule sorts of things but the biggest one in my mind is to speak up. That's a little bit easier when you have an existing process that's mm-hmm. doing a PHA, and often those are very small teams. It may yeah. be the facilitator, the operator, and a process engineer. It may just be three people, maybe a couple more. Sometimes when you get projects, those can be much larger teams and a lot more engineers and managerial type folks in on that group. But you still need an operator there and you still need to make sure that you speak up. Don't feel intimidated. You are a valuable part of the team and you need to say your thoughts as long as, you know, everybody else has their turn. Make sure you take your turn on that discussion as well. And at the end of the day, you and your peers, you and your coworkers are the ones out there day in and day out. And if you're in a process that requires a PHA, especially if it's PSM covered, you're in a process that's that's highly hazardous. We call them high hazard processes for a reason. So you don't want to kind of be quiet about some issue that you think is very important because it could end up that you or one of your coworkers, you know, ends up being hurt or God forbid, you know, killed due to that. So, right. right. Okay. What's next, Molly? Yeah. So we've talked a little bit about some of these items, but we wanted to point out, you know, how is this a valuable experience? Uh, Sometimes these PHAs can last, you know, if you're lucky, maybe it's all of one day. (laughs) Sometimes they're multiple days or even multiple weeks. And so it's a lot of time commitment, but it is a valuable opportunity. I have frequently wrapped up PHAs and had people comment, you know, I learned an awful lot from that, especially operators. They may have been running the process for, you know, 10, 12 years, but they still learned something new that they didn't understand, a nuance of the chemistry or something that could go wrong and what what that could lead to. So it is a great learning opportunity. As we talked about, for a new operator, they're not equipped with the knowledge base to be an effective team member, but if they happen to have time and you can afford it and they can sit in on a PHA and listen, they're going to learn an awful lot. Yeah, that'll um, be that'll be that'll be like six months to a year of on the job training right there. Yes. Also, they can be a good opportunity for people in non-management positions to 
get a chance to know and work with the engineers and maybe other groups, the E&I, uh, technicians, maintenance personnel, instrument engineers, control system experts, things like that, that they may not interact with on a routine basis. And those connections can help you later if you've got questions that come up and you know the expert in the field and you've been working with them on this team. So therefore you can be more comfortable going to them with other questions later. Gives everybody a chance to understand the hazards and review past incidents. If there have been any significant incidents in the past, hopefully those are well in the past and you've made significant improvements. Hopefully. But it's hopefully, but it's still good to review those, make sure that mm -hmm. everybody understands, keep that knowledge alive within the organization so that you don't become complacent and forget about what could happen. And so those are some of the valuable learning experiences that you can get from going through this PHA process besides meeting all of the regulatory requirements. So just going a little a little bit of a different approach for the value of the PHA outside the PHA itself, one of the things that we wanted to bring up specifically was that this is a great opportunity to make sure that your process safety information is up to date. So what's process safety information? For those of you who don't know, this is the information related to the hazards of the materials, related to the technology and the equipment that you're using, things like P&IDs, piping and instrumentation diagrams, and SOPs. Hopefully, we've got procedures for all of these. How many people go to their procedures and tell you that they are not up to date? Well, this is a great opportunity <laughs> yep. to identify issues with those so that we can get that we can get them up to date. Just as facilitators, Molly and I, the way that we manage that is that we will take anything like that, you know, add hand valve under T11 to P&ID 47-2 whatever it is. We will take that sort of a thing and add it to a parking lot so we don't lose them. We don't mm -hmm. lose that information. And now we we give that to the folks at the site and then they can go and make those updates to those diagrams, to the SOPs, to anything else related to that, that information. I mean, ideally, companies would check to make sure that all of that information is current and up to date before you go into the PHA. But the PHA is a great opportunity to make note of any corrections if they aren't up to date for whatever reason. And Molly and I were talking before we started recording, and I have at this point never been in a PHA where we did not find at least one or two things, even if they had just, um, you know, verified their P&IDs, we still find problems with them. So it's a great opportunity for that. So what about after the study session, Molly? So we've we've got our operators or our you know I'm, I'm an operator, a maintenance person. I've sat through, God forbid, I've sat through. I've made it to the end of the PHA. <laughs> yeah, I learned a ton. What should I do going forward? Yeah. So ideally, you can talk to your other coworkers and share some of those learnings, share some of that information. One of the requirements after the PHA is to communicate the findings with the affected employees. So you can start that process informally with okay. talking to the people on your shift or Absolutely. your supervisor, your uh, other coworkers that you run across. Management will roll out some form of communication, but you need to uh, elaborate 
on whatever they say with your own take and your own yep. learnings from that. There's going to be recommendations that will come out of the PHA that need to be followed up and tracked to closure. And so for the ones that you are particularly concerned about, then you need to make sure that those do get assigned to somebody for follow-up. Somebody takes action, fixes the issue, adds interlocks, adds an instrumentation, whatever the recommendation was to address that risk. If there's a particularly high hazard scenario with insufficient safeguards, there may be a need for some interim safeguards to be added. Right. Maybe they want to have additional operator attention on something. And if that's the case, make sure that that happens. Make sure that your coworkers understand the importance of that interim measure until they can put in the additional instrumentation or interlocks or whatever it is that they wanted to do. So Absolutely. And so you should have access to all of the PHA information, and this is your opportunity to make sure you hold management accountable that they need to follow up on those action items. And so uh, by all means, if you're concerned about follow through on something, go ahead and ask. Yep. Say, hey, I remember in the PHA we talked about adding this pump or adding this interlock or adding some additional relief device. Where does that stand? When's it going to happen? An important point, I think, to make is that it's actually part of the PSM regulation that employees have access to that information. So your employer cannot withhold that PHA information, whether it's the worksheets, whether it's the recommendations, whatever it is, they need to share that with you. So they should be communicating it with you as part of their requirements from the regulation after the PHA is done. But if they don't, you certainly are within your rights to, to ask about that. So we've talked mostly about folks who are on PHA teams. And one of the things that we wanted to also mention is what to do if you're not on a PHA team. Now, some folks probably will breathe a big sigh of relief because <laughs> they didn't have to kind of like jury duty, yep. right? They didn't have to right. sit in a room for a week or whatever it was. But an important point for someone who may not be, number one, you're probably not going to be part of every PHA team anyway. But for any given PHA, if you're not on the team, make sure that if you do have specific concerns, you do have specific information about risks or something in the process that isn't working properly, anything like that. If you have concerns like that, if you have information like that, that would be pertinent to the PHA team, make sure that you tell that to the appropriate participant, whether that is the operator who is going to be in the room or the maintenance guy who is going to be in the room or whether that is you know your supervisor or whether that's the safety person or if you know the facilitator is going to be somebody local to your plant or something make sure they know but just because you're not on the team doesn't mean that your opinion your knowledge your ideas your concerns are not important to that pha they are and we really encourage you to make people aware of your concerns mm -hmm. Yep. And then one last thing we wanted to mention is the linkage between MOCs or management of change and the PHAs. As we talked about, there are going to be recommendations that come out and probably changes will need to be made. Those will need to follow that MOC process, even if it was a recommendation from the PHA to add this interlock or add this instrumentation, that still has to go through the MOC process and be controlled as a change. Even if it's improving safety, that still follows that same process. So make sure that you are aware of those MOCs, the changes that are happening in your process, and that those get documented and follow that same methodology. 
Absolutely. So, okay. So I think that wraps up the points yep. that we wanted to make. So let me just quick summary, three things for folks to go away from this with. So the first one is that there is great value in participating in PHA. You're going to learn a ton. It's going to be maybe not the most exciting time that you've ever spent, but it is an opportunity for you to learn. So if you go into it thinking it's going to be an opportunity like that, you will get a lot out of it. I promise you. The second thing is that your input is vital. We want to make sure that you speak up and don't ever think that, well, John, the, you know, the engineer seems to know what he's talking about, so I won't question him. No, 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 no. Ask questions. <laughs> Molly and I are engineers. <laughs> you should ask we the question. Always, Believe us. Yeah, we don't always know the right answer. We do not always know the right answer. And odds are you know the process better than we do. And the final thing is just to be sure to follow up on the results of the PHA if you weren't part of the team. So just because you weren't there doesn't mean that you shouldn't find out about it. Management is supposed to tell you. They need to communicate that information to what the regulation calls affected employees, and that includes maintenance and operators in the particular process. So make sure you follow up with them. Say, hey, I remember that there was a PHA on such and such a process. I'd like to know what came out of that. Can you give me some of those details? So make sure that you follow up on that. Okay, Molly, what we got next? Yeah, so as you can tell from this podcast episode, we at Amplify definitely think that the boots on the ground, the personnel who are operating the processes, maintaining the processes, whether it be operators, technicians, instruments, personnel, play a key role in process safety. And mm -hmm. so we do have a handful of other episodes that may be of interest to you. Episode 20 is talking about why boots on the ground are vital for a PSM program. And episode 53 talks about ways that you can participate in improving the PSM program at your facility above and beyond uh, PHA. We've also got a couple of episodes on training, initial training and refresher training. Don't have episode numbers for those yet. Those are in the works. And then finally, if you want to learn just a little bit more about PHAs in general, episode number two is an introduction to PHAs. So with that, if you've got any questions about the material we covered in this podcast or an idea for a podcast topic, please send us an email at podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely. Finally, it's our goal here at Amplify Process Safety to save lives by partnering with companies that handle highly hazardous chemicals to create a world-class process safety system, as it's our firm belief that these systems will help to prevent catastrophic incidents like fires, explosions, and toxic releases, all of which are very bad. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if there's something that we can do to help you or your company on your process safety journey. Thank you and appreciate you listening. And until next time, be safe out there. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Amplify Your Process Safety. Head to our website, AmplifyConsultants.com, to find our show notes and other resources. Thank you for joining us in our mission to ultimately save lives by advancing process safety right here on Amplify Your Process Safety. Until next time.